a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We want to pick up our study in verse 12, and then we want to take it to verse 32. I want you to pay attention to the, the title this morning of the teaching, of the Holy Spirit and trials. They go together. They go hand in hand. If you've been a Christian long enough, if you've been serving the Lord long enough, you will recognize that there will be trials in your life. We look at Pastor Saeed. He is uh, in a hard trial. I mean, the man's been in prison now, incarcerated for two, almost two and a half years. And we're hoping and praying that he gets released, as we're going to see Peter and John this morning. They go to jail again. They go to prison again for the gospel's sake. And yet, we know that the angel releases them. As we continue in the book of Acts, we know that the church is on the move. Ever since the Holy Spirit fell in the 120 in the upper room in the day of Pentecost. We studied that in Acts chapter 2. The church has been established now. Many miracles, signs, and wonders have taken place. We studied previously that there's over 5,000 that have been added to the church. That have come to saving grace. We have already uh, seen the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles, the life of the disciples, uh, the life of the followers of Jesus Christ, plus the many new converts that were coming. But it's not been without trial in the early church. This morning we want to look at the continued ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to bring conviction, uh, to bring salvation, and miracles, signs, and wonders will follow. That's what Jesus told us. And so the healings. Yet again, let me mention it. It's not been without trial. And so here is the key this morning. The Holy Spirit and trials go together. They go hand in hand. Uh, a lot of times it's hard to explain. The, to conceive. Why do I go through trials? To understand. Lord, why do I go through trials? If he loves me, he saves me, and then he fills me with his spirit, then why the trials? If you're taking notes back in James chapter 1, James tells us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, temptations, testings in your life. And then the encouragement. Through the trial, he's going to build patience. And so many times God is building in us. That's why we go through the trials. He strengthens my walk. He strengthens your walk. And if you look at the word patience, he's building stamina in my life. He's building strength in my life. He's building, and listen to this, character in my life. And I know some of you are going to respond. I got plenty of character. Well, God has to build more. And so he strengthens us uh, through the times of the trials. Now, many of you should know this name. I'm going to give you just a little testimony. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great British pastor, teacher, preacher, a theologian. He was also an author. He was born in 1834. He went home to be with Jesus in 1892. He served for 57 years. He was a young man when you think about 57 years old. He was the pastor of the famous Metropolitan uh, Tabernacle Church uh, in London, England. He had it all as a man of God. But I want you to listen to this. Yet he suffered greatly from anguish, depression, anxiety. 
He suffered emotionally, physically, and spiritually when you read his testimony. He was a tremendous man of God. He suffered greatly from gout. Uh, the historians tell us that's probably what killed him. Gout is basically great inflammation of the kidneys. And he had this for many years. Plus he had a, a disease called Bright's disease, a chronic inflammation of the blood vessels. He also suffered a rheumatic disorder of the joints caused by the gout. It's believed that's what took his life. 57 years old, he still had many more years to preach. Could it be that the trials is what took him down? And yet God knows because there's an appointed time for all of us when to go home. He was tireless. He wrote. He preached. Uh, they nicknamed him Soul Winner. Tremendous. Today still, we have his writings. And so again, we can ask the question, you know, the Holy Spirit's part of my life. Why do I need the trials? Trials bring me to that place of dependency upon God. Trials bring me in that place sometimes when I'm on my back and there's nowhere else to look but up. Okay, Lord, you have my attention. And so the trials, the tribulation, the hardship, the pain, each one of us are going to go through it. I've had my share. I know some of your testimonies. You've had your share. It's interesting that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and, and basically he says, God will not give you any more than you can handle. And through the trial, listen to this, he'll make a way of escape. I honestly can share with you this morning, I don't know if I could handle what Pastor Saeed is going through. I don't know if my wife could handle what his wife is going through at this time. His children. And yet, he trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord in everything. And so here's the early church again. God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is developing the church, building the church. It's not without trial. Uh, Peter and John are going to be arrested again. Let's get into our text this morning. In Acts chapter 5, look at verse 12. And I like the caption of my Bible says, continuing power in the church. And I added to that, yet the trials. So he begins in verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in the church because they were of one mind. They were of one heart. They were of one soul. They were in unity. That's the word accord here. And yet the trials are there. Verse 13 goes on. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly because the people esteemed them highly. They frequented Solomon's porch as we have studied in the past. It was considered the meeting place uh, for the new believers. There was a great group of them, but others dared not join them. Listen to this. Why? Because fear came into the church also. Remember last week in our teaching from verses 1 through 11, the death of Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so... The word they, the people that weren't there, they esteemed them. They highly regarded them. Uh, they respected them. Maybe some thought if we join the group, that's going to happen to us. 
And so many times when we look at the circumstances and instead of looking at the, the blessings, if I come to the Lord, he's going to sustain me. If I come to the Lord, he's going to take care of me. All the trials will be there. And that's the evidence of the early church. Look at verse 14. And believers, listen to this now, were increasingly added to the church, added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So the Spirit of God is at work. How can you stop the work of God? You can't. For 2,000 years, uh, the devil, the enemy, has desperately tried. But the work of God continues. Notice the effect of the gospel message. Notice the effect now of the power of God's Spirit in verse 15. And so they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them at, on the beds and, and the couches. The beds basically would have been a mat and that they would unroll and such. That at least, this is the faith factor, at least the shadow of Peter uh, passing by might fall on some of them. Why were they doing this outside? Because uh, Solomon's porch was probably filled. And so these people saw the miracle signs and wonders, and they were beginning to bring their loved ones here. Now, when we talk about mustard seed faith, there's no room in Solomon's porch. <laughs> the people have uh, such faith that's been released in them that they even use Peter's shadow as a form of contact of faith. Paul later will send handkerchiefs, sweatbands, lay hands on them, pray for them, because some of the people couldn't get in, and he would send it out to the sick who could not come. And so we understand that. Sometimes our faith needs to be stirred. I know here at the chapel when uh, we've had healings, I know when we've had victories here at the chapel, uh, we'll have somebody testify. We'll have somebody share. We do that quite a bit in the men's fellowship when we have our breakfasts. And, it, and it's a good faith builder. And in a sense, we're sitting there, we're listening. If God can work on that guy, if God can work on that girl, he can work in my life. And so it stirs up our faith. I mean, these people wanted their loved ones touched. They know about that a man that was born lame from birth and that they healed that man. It was the power of God through Peter and John. And now they're just looking at John's shadow. Later, as I share, Paul's going to send sweatbands. Now, years ago, some of you were part of the church here. I had a sciatic nerve that went out on me on my back that affected my whole side. Uh, down to the back of my thigh, and I was out for about six weeks. And I mean, we had a lot of prayer. And I mean, the difficulty of just one step, I couldn't do it. I was basically living in my den, and I have about an eight-inch step to go up to the bathroom. It was excruciating. And the doctor said, elevate, that's it. Elevate. Well, we started to elevate, but we also started to pray. And a lot of prayer. At that time, there was a lady by the name of Sylvia uh, Kidron. I had met her and her husband, David. Uh, he was one of our guides uh, in one of our Israel trips. And so I had emailed her because uh, 
she had emailed uh, prayer requests and she had emailed uh, if, if we would send her uh, some CDs and such. And anyway, I contacted her and I said, Sylvia, I know you have a small group there in Israel. Would you please tell them to pray for me? So we had a lot of people praying. Well, Sylvia got together with her group and they took a handkerchief. They followed the lead of Paul. And that small group, there was about 15 people at, at the home Bible study. They laid hands on that handkerchief. She folded up, put it in a, a mailing apparatus, and sent it out to me. And when it came, I took it, put it right on my uh, sciatic nerve. And I said, Lord, they're praying for me. Lord, they laid hands. Lord, uh, Paul did the same thing. Lord, if you're going to use this, it's not the handkerchief that's going to heal, but it's God's power, it's God's love. And I can honestly tell you, things began to change after that, and yet all the prayer that was here at the church. Because the doctor said, we can do surgery, but we can honestly tell you it's 50-50. And then if we pinch the nerve further, you're going to be in more trouble. And so sometimes we need that motivation. Sometimes we need that, uh, that move, that contact, uh, Peter's shadow. If only Peter's shadow would go over my loved one, God would touch them. And this is what was happening in the early church. Look at verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick uh, people in, and those who were tormented by the unclean spirit, and they were all healed. The power of God was on the move. Word spread quickly. When the Holy Spirit falls, you will never hold back of the work of God. Listen, you guys need to get to Jerusalem. You need to go to Solomon's porch. There's a couple of guys there called Peter and John, and they're preaching. They're praying. They're laying hands on the sick. We even saw people when Peter's shadow went over them. God touched them. And all of a sudden, people started coming. And can you imagine uh, the turmoil uh, there in Jerusalem? Because the religious sect does not like it. Let me give you a verse real quick. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus is teaching on the Great Commission. We're more accustomed uh, to the teaching of the Great Commission out of Matthew chapter 28. But listen to verse uh, 17, Mark 16. And these signs uh, will follow those who believe. These are the words of Jesus. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. In other words, the miracle signs and wonders are going to follow your salvation. Miracle signs and wonders are going to follow after what took place at the cross. And then the power of the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. The church has never been the same. For the last 2,000 years. But again, now we come to verse 17. The caption in my Bible says, imprisoned apostles. But they're going to be set free. Again, here's the work of the Spirit. People are getting saved. People are getting uh, set free. Demons are being cast out of people. Healings are taking place. But then here comes the trials. In verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, uh, which is the sect uh, of the Sadducees, and they were filled. Listen, they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
but they were filled with indignation. Uh, the word is jealousy. We're the Sanhedrin. We're the religious sect. We're the Sadducees. There was the 71 elect of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. I mean, we're the anointed ones. How could God work through these fishermen? And so they were frustrated, frustrated. Now, the Sadducees, remember, we mentioned it in earlier teachings, they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the life hereafter. And so they neglected the teachings on heaven and hell. And they were filled with jealousy. Look at verse 18. But they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. And so it's basically they were placed in a public type jail. The common offenders would be there. But there's a reason they're doing this. It was late at night. We're going to see that in verse 19. Night was approaching either way. Let's deal with them tomorrow. Look at verse 19 now. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said to them, look at verse 20, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. He's speaking about life eternal. So the trial takes place. And what is the other group doing that's not Peter and John? Because there were other followers. They were praying. They were praying just like we ask. Across the nation and the world, people are praying for Pastor Saeed. Here in the chapel, when we have uh, somebody that's going through cancer, somebody that's going through uh, a melody that's just uh, uh, so, so hard on the whole life. We've had people in our church that have loved ones that have committed suicide. That's a trial. And they bring it to us, and we begin to pray, and we begin to ask you to pray. And then we have other prayer groups. There's power in prayer. And yet the enemy does not like it, obviously. I love that here in verse 19, others had this all-night prayer. An angel of the Lord, verse 20, said, go testify. Testify what? The Greek is giving us eternal life. If you have come to saving grace, you have a testimony. Just like Peter and John. Just like those that were there at Solomon's porch. You're going to find that God is going to use your testimony. For years I've been able to share with those that struggle with alcohol. With those that struggle with drugs because that was my testimony. And you're able to share with them. You're able to tell them, listen, I was going through that. When somebody comes in and they're hurting because a loved one has passed away, listen, I have buried my father-in-law. I have buried my own father. I've buried my mother. I know what you're going through. And so you're able to identify. You're able to identify. Listen, I'm sorry that your loved one has committed suicide. But there's been a suicide in our family, too, in time past. There's a couple of the ladies in the church that uh, have gone through abortions and, and such, and, and they're able to witness and testify to others. 
there's always those that uh, have lost a baby somehow, some way. And it hurts. Our own daughter uh, lost a child. And we're all excited waiting for the child. And then we get the call. Dad, I lost a child. But we're going to keep going, Dad. And so my daughter now has been able to share with so many other people in her church. And so your testimony, your witness, it goes before you. And learn not to hold back. And I know what's going to happen. The first time the opportunity comes up to share with somebody, uh, you're going to get gun shy. You're going to all of a sudden become a secret agent. And then you say, well, you know, that's Pastor Bob's job. No. They're seeking you. They're talking to you. They ask you, you want to have a cup of coffee with me? I have some things to, to, to ask of you. Ask the Lord to speak to you, minister to you. You'd be surprised what you have that you can share with others. Uh, write down these two verses. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and verse 33. The caption of my Bible says, Confess Christ before man. This is a command from the Lord. In verse 32, therefore, whosoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 33, but whosoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We will be tested. We will be tried. But eventually, you're going to have to share your testimony. I can honestly tell you, you're going to probably hold back the first couple of times and you're going to feel miserable. Then the door of opportunity is there. Once I started sharing Christ with uh, my coworkers, uh, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't shut up. In fact, my bosses would say, Bob, that's enough. And then I share with them. But there is a time and a place. And so I started to, uh, you know, use the break time, use the lunch time. But a lot of people were coming up and asking questions. That's what will happen to you. Always be ready to give a man an answer to the hope that's within you, Paul said. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 21 now. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, and they taught. This is Peter and John now. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, and they sent to the prison uh, to have them brought out. Peter and John uh, were released from prison by the angel. They're at the temple now, early at the day of break. Uh, that's what the Greek rendering is telling us. The Sanhedrin, now the 71 elect of Israel, or the great council of the nation, uh, this was clearly... Uh, for the purpose of trying them. Let's bring them. Let's try these guys. Let's put them on, on the court system. The apostles were disregarding their command. Listen to that. The apostles were disregarding uh, the command. And remember, we have already studied. They were commanded not to speak in that name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, we know that Annas is the high priest at the time. He has a son-in-law named Caiaphas that basically was as the high priest. Annas ran the show, though. 
They were both considered Sadducees. They gathered this meeting. They could not understand, they could not handle that the Holy Spirit was at work. And because the Holy Spirit is at work, the trials are going to come. The trials are going to come. And I can honestly tell you, trials sometimes, uh, they come in small portions, and the trials come in huge portions. We've had our share of people here at the chapel with cancer. We've seen God heal, and we've seen God take some home. But isn't either one a healing? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so we place our, our hands, we place our, our bodies, we place every, our whole being, that is, we place it in the hands of God. Lord, we're going to pray. Uh, just about a year and a half, two years ago, Calvary Chapel, Peoria, in, in Arizona, my good friend, Manuel. We knew he had cancer. We visited him. In fact, Manuel taught here one of the Sundays I was in Israel. And he taught here. That was his last teaching. When I got back after 12 days, we inquired and he was not doing well. He passed away. Pastor Charlie from El Paso and I went and did the funeral. And I asked the question, Lord, why Manuel? He's still healthy. He still had many more years. He left a wife. He left grandchildren. He left children. He left the ministry. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. saith the Lord. God is in control. Even though I might not understand, even though I might not like or agree. I look at verse 22 now. And so the caption says, the apostles on trial again. In verse 22, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and they reported. Imagine that they don't, uh, they're not buying the miracle signs and wonders. They're denying Jesus, his resurrection, yet the power of God is obviously at work. And so they see firsthand the testimony. They see firsthand, obviously they locked them in the prison door. They locked them in the jail facility. They said guards were going to see that. But they're not there anymore. And then we hear they're preaching uh, back at Solomon's Port. How do you deny those things? And so it begins to stir your hearts. Back when we're, we were in Southern California, Mary and I, and I hadn't come to Christ yet, my wife and I get saved on the same day, but there's a witness all around us. There was a young man in my workplace, and I was basically his boss. His name was Steve. And so I was training him. I was showing him. And naturally, he starts to share with me. He's a Christian. And naturally, I push him back. I tell him, I'm very Catholic. Thank you. First thing he says, did you go to church Sunday? I go, no. And then he hit it. When's the last time you went to church? Been about five years, but I'm a good Catholic. And the witness of Christ started to penetrate the heart. 
I went back home and I told my wife about this young man, Steve. I told her his last name. She says, I went to school with him. He was a great baseball star. He was a great athlete. He had scholars, scholarships waiting for him to graduate, and they were going to take him into colleges and such. Well, Steve passed out on campus. And everybody said, oh, he's been working too hard. Baseball, school, work, whatever it might be. Then the report came back. He OD'd. Oh, they fixed him up. Came back to school and they expelled him. All the scholarships that were waiting for him died. And all of a sudden, Steve was left empty. Somebody shared with him. And Steve came to know Christ. And so the reality in my life, when he began to share, and then my wife says, I know him. I know his background. I know his testimony. It started to affect me. If God can change this boy, this young man, he can change me. And so verse 23 now, saying, indeed we found the prison uh, shut securely. And the guards standing outside before the, the doors. Uh, but when we opened them, listen to this, we found no one inside. How do you deny firsthand testimony? Everybody knew that Peter and John were placed in the prison. Uh, guards were set outside. We see in verse 19, it tells us that an angel set them free. An angel set them free. I'm convinced when the time comes that when Pastor Saeed is released, it's going to be because an angel of the Lord. We know that President Obama has met with his wife. We know that President Obama asked his son, Jacob, I heard it's your birthday. He says, yes, it's coming up. What do you want for your birthday? I want my daddy home. President said, I'm going to do everything I can. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that God moves on the Iranian president and the deal could be set up because it's a political thing. I can honestly tell you. But can God penetrate that? Yes. Nothing is impossible uh, with the Lord. Look at verse 24. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered, listen, the word is perplexed, they wondered what the outcome would be. There's an old saying, seeing is believing. Listen, we were there. In fact, maybe these had placed Peter and John in the cell. Maybe they're the ones that closed the cell, locked them in, placed two guards outside the door. They're per perplexed now. The word is perplexed beyond measure. Uh, there was no doubt. We did this. That's what the Greek is saying, the word perplex here. There's no doubt. We know we put them in there. We locked them in there. We put two guards right outside. But now they're not there. And so you begin to search your own heart. Look at verse 25. So one came and told them, saying, Look, uh, the men whom you put in the prison are standing at the temple and teaching the people. Remember those same two guys? That was the report. Peter and John. We locked them in the prison, right? They're standing back in the temple, Solomon's porch, 
and they are preaching, they are teaching, and what are they sharing? Eternal life. Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's all being taught there. They cannot deny it. Notice verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and they brought them. Without violence, they got to be very careful, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned to death. I, I like what verse 26 is saying. Oh, I'm sure they're angry. I'm sure they're frustrated. I'm sure they're, they have their own perplexity. But their concern of all the people because of the fear of reprisal, they took Peter and John without violence, no force. They were very careful. Why? Lest they stone us. Lest they turn around and stone us. This fear is not about Peter and John. This fear is of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's gotten a hold of these others. Hey, I, I helped put them in there. I helped lock them down. They're not there. They're over there at Solomon's porch and they're preaching. Now, the religious sect, they take it to the next level. In verse 27 and 28, And when they had brought them, they sat them uh, before the consul of the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly, listen to the word, uh, command you not to teach in this name? They can't even say the name of Jesus. Didn't we tell you, back in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, they had previously commanded not to teach in this name the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But they didn't say that, not to teach in that name. This was a demand. This was a charge. But instead, you disobeyed. Listen to this, church. <laughs> because in verse 28 says, don't be preaching in that name. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and indeed to bring this man's blood upon us. That was the fear. That was the fear. Interesting that the disciples, the apostles, and I believe over 5,000, now are filled with the Spirit of God. But these guys are filled with anger. They're filled with jealousy. They're filled with strife. You can be filled with a lot of things, obviously. But as a believer, we need to strive, we need to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, because they disobeyed, this is what they said to them. Instead, you disobeyed, you disobeyed us and have filled Jerusalem. The word to be filled, you have filled them with overflowing. You have filled those in Jerusalem, with the teachings about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. Their fear is being exposed. They said previously, let's not make any problems here. They might stone us. This is a fear of the Lord, what's going on. 
Look at verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and I want you to write this down, church. We ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than man. The Greek renders the word ought to we must. That's a better translation. We must obey God rather than man. We must. They told Pastor Saeed, we don't want you building any more orphanages here in Iran. He was already built two. He was warned. He went ahead and built the third one. You know why? God told him. God told him. And honestly, God tells you to do something and then you get incarcerated? Shouldn't you respond? Hey, Lord, didn't you tell me? Now you've left me? You've forsaken me? No. Because the promise of God is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, I know some of you, because I've done it, we like to walk by feelings. And there's times that you can easily say, you know, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't feel God in my life anymore. I, I, I feel estranged. You show me in the scripture where it says we walk by feeling. The Bible says we walk by what? By faith. We walk by faith. Lord, I don't feel you. I don't care. I know you're here. Let's go, Lord. That's the way I look at it. Again, that's another test. Because in the early uh, days of my ministry, the early days of my salvation, I could honestly sense the Spirit around me. I could, I could sense the power of God around me when I was going to preach to somebody, share with somebody. But there's those days when you go, nobody's here, nobody showed up. I can honestly tell you, that's when the Holy Spirit is at work. Again, look at verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered, and they said, uh, we must, that's the translation, we must obey God rather than man. We are all going to come to that place one day, maybe not as grand as uh, Peter and John or as grand as Pastor Saeed Abedini, but we're all going to come to that place. I need to obey God rather than man. Look at verse 30. Uh, the God of our fathers. Listen to testimony now. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus uh, from whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. This is the response from Peter and John. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob raised Jesus from the grave. I'm going to give you three verses because we believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All three of the Trinity had a hand in raising Jesus from the grave. Uh, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Secondly, God the Son raised himself from the dead. In John chapter 10, verse 17. John chapter 10, verse 17. Thirdly, God the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Imagine the testimony given to these men now. Oh, they're perplexed. They even fear 
a riot condition could turn out there at Solomon's porch. They even feared that they might get stoned, even though they're part of the Sanhedrin, the religious sect. And so they're walking on eggshells. They're kind of being very careful. And then Peter and John, uh, they just speak out. Now, I believe Peter's been the spokesman all along. He says, God, our fathers, God of our fathers, God of our fathers, raised up Jesus, whom you murdered. He's, he's talking to the religious sect. He's talking uh, to the Jewish leaders. And so they would have understood the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Even still today, those are strong words. Now, notice whom you hung on a tree. Now, we're accustomed to the cross. And yet there was other different methods that they crucified. Sometimes there was a T factor. Other times the word translated here is a pole. But yet we hang on to the cross. But the translation here is a pole. Look at verse 31 32, the conclusion now. Him God has exalted, speaking of Christ, Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We've often shared that salvation is to the Jew first. But we know, in a whole, the Jewish nation has rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And so, according to Romans chapter 11, the Gentiles have become the grafted-in branch. But listen to verse 31 again. The Father has elevated or lifted up to his rightful place, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of majesty on high. And listen to the word prince. To be chief, the only savior. That's why the word chief is there. There's only one chief. Only one chief. And so Jesus is being called uh, the prince or the chief, the only salvation who gives true repentance to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, read Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that whole little segment there. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise of God. And so we respond from the heart. It comes out through the mouth. And we believe by faith. How can God ignore that? How can God ignore that? When he speaks about repentance, I've often shared the word repentance. God wants to give you repentance. We confess our sins. We repent of our sins. True repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. Otherwise, it's just a lip service. I mean, I thought this thing out. I've come to saving grace. I truly come to repentance. I thought this thing out. I repent from the mind, from the heart, 
and direction has to change. There has to be a 180 degree turn. You are going this way in sin, you have to make an about face. And you need to run from sin, just like Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. The conclusion this morning, and we are his witnesses. I like this. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the promise from Jesus, when the Holy Spirit will come, uh, you shall receive power, the word is dunamis, power, dynamic power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, uh, the P experience, he comes upon you completely and totally from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Uh, to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice that the Holy Spirit is given to those that obey. The Holy Spirit is given to those that obey. Back in Acts chapter 2, the 120, we're in the upper room. The Holy Spirit was given to those that obey. They believe by faith. You could not be in that 120, in that upper room, unless you have come to saving grace. Go back and study who was there. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes, you're never going to be the same. Or you're going to go through the trials, the tribulation, the hardship, and the pain. And so that's what we shared this morning. The Holy Spirit and trials go hand in hand. Uh, I don't like trials. You don't like trials. But it's part of my life. In the trial, listen to this, God is chipping away the old man. In the trial, God is chipping away the old woman. God has to change us. And so many times when, uh, well, I'm finally going to go back to church. And I'm asking God to change me. But we look at the change outwardly. Honestly, God could care less how you look out, outwardly. You got one eye right here, he loves you. His desire is to change your heart. His desire is to change your heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the promise to Israel, I will give you a new heart. God wants to take away that callous heart, that heart of jealousy, that heart of strife, that heart of pride, that heart of sin, whatever that sin is in your life. And he wants to give you a heart after his heart. It's interesting, when you study the life of King David, uh, he was notorious for a lot of sins. He killed a lot of people, and then he got Bathsheba pregnant. And then to cover that sin, he had Uriah, her husband, uh, sent to the hottest part of the battle, and eventually he did die. And, and so David was guilty of a lot of sin. But the Bible says that David, listen to this, was a man after God's own heart. Go back and study Psalm 51. It's a psalm of repentance. And David cries out, Take not thy spirit from me. We are all sinners, I'm included. But God is the God of love and compassion and grace. And because I am saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. I'm saved by grace, unmerited favor, 
I deserve judgment, but he gives me grace. You deserve judgment, but he gives you grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's nothing that I have to do. It's already been done for me. All I have to do is accept Christ. All I have to do is accept Christ. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for the opportunity as we continue to study the Word of God in the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit in trials. They go hand in hand. They go together. Lord, you've worked in my life. You've worked in the lives of these people here uh, tonight or this morning. And Lord, you're still working in our lives. And, and Lord, we could probably write a book on our trials. But Lord, your promise, you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And so before we conclude this morning, with every eye closed, every head bowed, maybe you're here this morning, you've never received Christ. I, I'm here to share with you, today is the day of your salvation. If you'd like to come to Saving Grace right there where you're at, by faith, the Spirit of God has spoken to you. I, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm going to say a simple prayer of faith with you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I see your hand, ma'am, over here in the corner. Praise God. Anybody else? I see your hand up here in front. I see your hand up here in front. Anybody else? With these three beautiful people that want to receive Christ this morning, just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm going to, right there, I'm going to just pray for you. Anybody else with these three people? Then let's pray. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people that raised their hand, uh, not to me, not to Calvary Chapel, uh, but to you, Lord. I ask you, Lord, uh, to forgive them of all their sins. I ask you, Lord, to come into their lives. Lord, as they truly accept you as Lord and Savior, uh, set them free, Lord. Set them free. Lord, give them a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. As the Holy Spirit comes into their lives now, and as the Holy Spirit begins to lead them and to guide them into all truth. But Lord, give us the assurance in our heart that we have easily come to saving grace this morning. Uh, now the, the, the rest begins to take place. And so, Father, bless them. Give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your word. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And Lord, we also pray this morning for the offerings. As you've given to us, uh, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.